You read the Bible, Greg. You talking to me? I'm a long sample. Keep up. Wait, wait, let me let me explain something to you. Uh, I am not Mr. Lebowski. You're Mr. Lebowski. I'm the dude. I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. Well, there's past. So what you want? Jesus freak. I got a bad feeling about this. King Kong ain't got shit on me! Do I really look like a guy with a plan? Each and every man under my command owes me 100 net scouts. <laughs> Start to see pictures, eh? Oh, wow. Thank you for that. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Film and Loathing podcast for Monday, February 4th, 2019. This is episode number 16, and I'm Jake. I'm Chris. And I'm Zach. Coming up, we've got a couple reviews for you, both revolving around the film's Suspiria, Dario Argento's uh, 1977 Suspiria, as well as Luca Guadagna's 2018 Suspiria. Um, And Dario Argento's Suspiria will be up for our Hall of Fame review. And for any new listeners out there, we'll quickly run through what that means in a second. Uh, before we get into the show today, how you guys doing? Killing not bad, it. not bad. Killing it today. So tired that I'm like overtired. Oh yeah, that, I like get that. I'm, I'm kind of like on a high right now, and it's feeling great. Yeah, I get that. I've been on like four days of working like ten plus hours. You're an animal, Jake. I just had no weekend off. And then you have then you have the energy to come on the show and still record it and hold the energy level you do. How do you do it? Uh a lot of cocaine. (laughs) I like that. A lot of uh a lot of pills, a lot of Red Bull. Apparently the uh the Searles brothers both love cocaine. Fucking love it. It's like that. Uh, it's like that crazy commercial with like the dinosaur, and it's like the best part of waking up is cocaine in your cup. <laughs> you don't even. You don't even lay it out on the table. You just grab a morning mug and just snort it right out of that shit. It's true. I put it in a mug and then just pour it over me, and I just start sniffing away. I feel like that's how. Uh, that's how Scarface starts every morning. Yes, I inspired to be like exactly like Scarface. We should point out that we are recording this a day later than we usually do. So, Chris, was your Super Bowl worth it? Oh, it was. I was a big fan of the Super Bowl. You're like the only person that I've heard say that. Well, that's because every, <laughs> every single person wants to see points on points on points. But I love the defensive battles, man. That's what gets me going. Wasn't it even not really defensive? Wasn't it just more shitty offense? No, it was fantastic defense. The 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 backfields were both getting after the receivers. The 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 defensive linemen were both getting after the quarterback. Aaron Donald did his usual shenanigans of of disrupting the line. It was fantastic. So I don't know what any of that means? So <laughs> sounds good. Did you put any money? Did you put any money down? No, 
No, I, uh, I I counted the Patriots out this whole postseason that I didn't feel confident that they weren't going to win this game, so I didn't put any money on it. I see. Are you a betting man, Chris? I love to gamble. Are we going to put some? <laughs> are we going to put some wagers down on our Oscar predictions? I mean, if that's what you're game for, they they make Venmo now. We can transition money to each other. <laughs> I have I was... never been interested in like betting on who's going to win. But betting on, like, what the score will be at a certain point, that interests me. Hey, oh, oh, we're back to football now? Yeah. I mean, yeah. they don't keep score at the Oscars, but... Well, I do. <laughs> they should. And Tom Hanks wins uh, it three to nothing. It's great. I think they should do the Oscars like, uh, like they do arcade games. Where, like, based on your performance, you get X amount of tickets to spend at the ticket booth. You can cash in for so many prizes. That's how you get your Oscar. An Oscar is like a million tickets, so you have to get. You get to a, somebody gets a million tickets, and you can either choose between the Oscar or a million of those little flavored Tootsie Rolls that aren't chocolate. The fruit flavored Tootsie Rolls. I would get the fruit flavored Tootsie Rolls. Oh my gosh, that'd be hilarious! My gosh, Zach, you should just run the academy. Well, it's coming. <laughs> That's the end game. I personally get to award how many tickets each thing is worth. Like, uh, Regina King, here's 50 tickets. You're only you... going to start at 50, but an Oscar is going to be a million tickets? Yeah, it's going to be like a lifetime <laughs> achievement, pretty much. Oh, <laughs> Nobody, I guarantee, maybe Meryl Street, but nobody else can get fucking 50 tickets to a million. You know what would be kind of a fun idea? It's like when you were in, like, middle school, and, like, I feel like those organizations were just trying to scam people, so they'd send you the catalogs where, like, your family could buy candles or whatever, and then if you, like, sold a member of candles, you could do them on a trip or whatever. That's what the oh. Oscars should be like. You just got to go door to door and try to sell tickets, try to get people to give you tickets. Those things were sick, though. Like, I loved those things. You'd see, like, the guy come in, and he'd have, like, this giant table across the auditorium, and then he would have, like, like the cool ball you could get on one end all the way up until, like, an Xbox where you had to sell, like, $50,000 worth of candles to get the Xbox, and everybody was like, I'm going to do it. So then they would go hard for, like, an afternoon, and they'd be like, this isn't worth it. <laughs> And you could buy an Xbox cheaper than you could buy 50,000 candles. <laughs> yeah. Your grandmother would always buy one just to make you feel good. <laughs> they were buy like more like 20 and just like just keep putting them in a box in the closet or something. <laughs> True that. But yes, I think uh, that system would work very well for the Academy. Just in case anybody's listening in on us. Uh, that that's a way more interesting idea to win an Oscar. You gotta go around door to door and s- try to accumulate a million tickets, or be really good at skee ball and just rack up tickets. I feel like or the f- dealer no deal arcade game. I feel like Joaquin Phoenix would be really good at skee ball. Maybe. I don't know why. I just picture him being able to sling that sucker into the corner like nobody else can. Oh, yeah, he can nail. Is it, what is it worth? Fifty or hundred? Well, there are 
there's both. You can get fifty or a hundred. But the one, the little tiny one in the corner, that's one. That one's worth a hundred. There's two oh, yeah. side pockets that are worth a hundred. Okay. Oh yeah, he'd be fucking corner pocketing that shit all day. <laughs> corner three. All right, um, Zach. Before we get started, any housekeeping stuff to catch up with? I don't know. I don't think so. Sick. Uh, my kitchen's pretty dirty. well for any new listeners out there um on this episode we will be doing a hall of fame review of dario argento's suspiria and the way it works is um a film selected by one of us so this one happened to be chosen by myself um we'll nominate the film that must be older than 10 years um something that's either critically acclaimed or um just like a big staple in film in general and we'll discuss it um as we normally do and then at the end of the discussion we'll put it to a vote and if we unanimously decide it's worthy it'll get locked into the film and loathing hall of fame i think that that is important to note is that it does not even have to be a movie that any of us have seen. If it is, like, critically revered, it's eligible. I feel like it's even, even if it's not critically revered, it can still be nominated. True. Yeah. Like Gangs in New York. Yeah. That was critically revered, you fuckers. That's true. I guess it was technically critically revered. Revered? Uh, I don't know about that. Uh, the next movie I choose will be The Mummy. Perfect. The Brandon, <clears throat> Brandon Fraser one? Oh, yeah. Tom Cruise one is a no-go for me, dog. Well, that one doesn't qualify, but... Oh, it qualifies. It came out in 1999. No, the no, Tom no, Cruise the, one. Tom Cruise one. Oh, yeah. That one's bullshit. Tom Cruise is not, 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 a, not a fan. Um, and then on top of Suspiria, Dario Argento 1977 one will also be – then we'll kick it right off with um, the 2018 remake, and we'll just discuss sort of how they compare. Um, and uh, yeah, it should, uh, should be an interesting discussion. I've, I've certainly been waiting to talk about these two films. I'm excited to see what Chris thinks. Me oh too. Gosh, why every single week? Every single week, you guys pick the weirdest movie, and then it's just like, oh, Chris, what do you think of this movie? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so I wanted to ask, how should we handle the discussion of these two films? So the 1977 one, I feel like that one could be open for spoilers, right? That movie is 40 years old. We can talk about any aspect of that movie as freely as we want. Yeah, but how about the 2018 one? I it differs enough to the point to where it needs to have a separate spoiler discussion. I also think though that like I've been thinking about this. Do you, would you listen to a podcast about a movie you had not seen? Yes, I do it all the time. Really? I yeah. don't listen to anything unless I've seen it. I don't listen to podcasts. Yeah, you're... yeah. Too busy listening to fucking John Bon Jovi. <laughs> you got a problem with living on a prayer, my man? <laughs> um, okay, then we can do yeah, a separate do spoiler discussion. 
because um yeah i mean, I mean as you as you guys know i'm a big fan of the film junk podcast so all the time i just listen to different things just to hear them talk about it and, and if they're like this movie's absolute shit then maybe i won't check it out but if they like it then maybe i'll give it a poke i just think we've been extremely inconsistent with our spoiler discussions and our non-spoiler discussions as in they overlap or as in some things get spoilers and some things don't as in last week, we did not do a spoiler discussion of Beale Street, but we very openly talked about the very final scene. Like, there's got to be some sort of consistency here where you have to just say, our show is completely spoiler. Don't watch. Don't listen to it if you haven't seen the movie. Mm, I see what you're saying. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm a fan of uh, the non-spoiler talk, or the yeah the spoiler non-spoiler section. Fine with me. Whatever works for you two works for me. All right. Well, then uh, let's kick it off then with uh, Dario Argento's 1977 Suspiria. Uh, let me see. It stars Jessica Harper, Stefania Cassini, Flavio Bucci. And the plot synopsis is an American newcomer to a prestigious German ballet academy comes to realize that the school is a front for something sinister amid a series of grisly murders. So what did you guys think of Dario Argento's Suspiria? So what did Chris think of Dario Argento's Here Suspiria? Here we go. Um, I really well, Chris, like you're the one. You're the one that's more of the blockbuster comedy guy. I wouldn't. Yeah. I would not think you'd even heard of this movie if we hadn't said anything. I didn't hear of this movie. Well, I, I heard of the 2018 one before I even knew it was a remake. Um, but I first thing that really shocked me about it, not shocked me, but one thing that really stuck out to me was the score. And I really liked the score in this. Um, it kind of gave me like a an exorcist kind of vibe throughout the whole beginning. And um, I was actually, I went into this movie with the only prior knowledge being... Um, you, Jake, actually talking about it on a previous episode we had, and you basically talked about the color schemes and how it kind of related to Mandy in that way. And I see the comparison that you were making there, and I thoroughly agree. I don't know if it was a direct inspiration, but I, I, I enjoyed the the ominous reds and the cooling blues and the grody greens i really enjoyed that going through as a consistent thing throughout um um overall i enjoyed the movie um definitely what i expected of a 1977 horror film like i, I went in with that in mind and i didn't really expect too much of it and I got what I wanted. That's how you can ask for. Yeah, it was it was an enjoy. I, I don't know what else to say. It was an enjoyable movie. You enjoyed it? Yeah, I enjoyed that movie. That's fucked. What do you mean? Okay, you think I like? <laughs> no, I think I'm sitting there just like, man, this makes sense. This makes sense. Start a witch coven. I like that. I think. It's interesting because it's a very intriguing film because, Jacob, you read off who's in the movie and the plot synopsis, and I don't think this movie is even remotely concerned with any of that. No, not a bit. I think 
I think if the technical like craft that Argento has that he's so masterful at with like the lighting and the cinematography and the music and all if the, all that's working for you, then all of that plot stuff is very easy to overlook. But if it's not looking, if it's not working for you, it's the easiest movie to pick apart and say, well, that doesn't make sense. That doesn't make sense. That doesn't make sense. But I I loved it. Like I it's very very good. But like I think I was expecting maybe a little more from it, having hearing about how revered it is and this being the first time I've seen it like I guess I wanted something more like I knew I knew the ending I guess which I didn't realize the ending was supposed to be like sort of a big reveal I knew that going into the movie that like what was happening to these girls and like maybe did you watch this one before we watched the 2018 one I've seen the 2018 one twice and I saw it the first time I saw it I saw it before seeing this okay but that's not how, like, I've always just known that it was about witches. I think, I just, I didn't realize that was supposed to be some big reveal at the end. Mm. And, like, I just, the complaint I would have is that I wish this idea of witches was a bit more developed. And there was more about that in there. Because, I mean, he does it, he explains it to death in <laughs> Mother of Tears later on in the trilogy, but... Like, I wish... I like that not everything is explained, but I wish maybe there was a little more explanation. Or at least, maybe not explaining of, like, events of the movie, but just, like, world-building outside of this academy. Yeah. <clears throat> I think it's easy to... Well, so I guess I'll start by saying. So this is my third time watching it. Um, I watched it once... The first time I watched it, actually, I didn't know anything about it. I didn't even know that it was supposed to be about witches. So when it came to that reveal, I was surprised, but I was also kind of disappointed, only because, I mean, this is how many, what, 41 years later? Yep. So I feel like that type of horror film where it's like these like weird events are happening just to find that this twist where it's something supernatural, I mean, it's incredibly outdone to this point. So looking at it, like, you know, through today's lenses, it's a little... It's a little underwhelming, but I think – I mean I'm, I'm sure at the time it was quite something. Um, I mean certainly the score and the colors, the use of color, the cinematography, I bet – I mean at, at the time like, that had to have been something that was – that no one was doing at all. Like this has been revolutionary for the time, which I almost make which, – which I almost think is why it's considered a, a horror masterpiece, only because of what it did in the time, in the time period. Um, but that I being said, maybe you guys saw this, maybe you didn't. There's a, it's hard to say because Eraserhead came out the same year this did. So, but like, I feel like this definitely had to have influenced David Lynch a little bit. Like, if you look at this cast, like this dance studio, and they have these like just towering red walls, and like, there's a lot of imagery in this. With the red specifically, that's very Mulholland Drive. That's very Twin Peaks like. Mm-hmm. He, he must have taken something from this. Yeah, I think there's a scene towards the end where she's like sitting in front of like a blue curtain, and she like pulls it back and walks in the hallway. I was thinking a lot of Twin Peaks in that particular scene. 
Sorry, I could get into Twin Peaks. Oh, you're missing out, man. I mean, I think the murder um, scenes are amazing. In this one? Yeah. See, I think the third time, this third time watching it, those are the things that I actually care less about. I think it's because of how just cheesy it is watching it 41 years later. That's where that's what I thought was so cool about it was like it's a 70s horror movie. Not even just 70s, an early horror movie. If there's anything revolutionary about it, it's that is the aspect of it that is revolutionary. If you watch a lot of slasher films, it's like death is almost just sort of this thing that's implied but not shown. Yeah, it's just here's the knife, here's the killer, here's the victim. Okay, we know what happens. And you get like some some cuts off screen, and we hear screaming. This is like this this <laughs> within the first fifteen minutes, it's, he stabs a heart, a beating yeah. heart. He stabs <laughs> it. It's like it's these are the most drawn out cat and mouse chase death sequences that were probably shown like at this point in time. And it's like I think that is the part that is extremely influential. Yeah. Um, although it makes, like, again, this movie works with a very, like, dr- I not really dream, I guess, nightmare, like, type logic. Yep. Where, like, if you're willing to go with it the same way you do in a dream, then it's going to be all right. But, like, if you just take a step back and think about it, like, there's a room that exists in this dance studio that's filled with barbed wire, and the only way to get to it is through a window. Like... <laughs> Like, there's like things like that that make no sense. Well, what also makes no sense about that scene is when they shove the knife through the door and they're trying to lift the lock up. I was like watching, I was like, why couldn't you just put your finger on the lock and just prevent them from sliding it up? <laughs> that plus, they were just picking at it, man. They could have easily have just slid that up in one smooth motion on the first try. Like, and that it wouldn't have been difficult. Like, she could have either A, Kick the knife out of the hand, just like swatted it away. Yeah. Bend it. Two, if she doesn't want to do that, just put your hand over the lock. You're not gonna lift it up. And also, like, the architecture of this building makes absolutely no sense at all. Like, <laughs> she, so she counts their footsteps, and that's how she finds them because she heard it earlier, and so she counts them, and that somehow leads her up. But it leads her up into the kitchen, even though we've already seen what's above their dormitory when they have that <laughs> maggot scene. And it's like, none of it makes any sense when you sit and think about it. But like in the moment, it's so gripping and so enthralling and it's so easy to just forget about all that and just go with it. So do you think that's just like an oversight or do you think it's kind of like using what The Shining adopts and um, what um, It Comes at Night adopts where the layout is intentionally ambiguous to kind of create a general sense of unease and confusion. I definitely think it's by design. Like, sure, maybe there are some, like, things that Argento... This sort of happened, and Argento was like, well, all right, we're just going to go with it. But I do think a lot of it is just, like, I want... Because it feels like this... Academy is never ending and that she that Susie can't escape it and so that that I feel is intentional no mm-hmm. um, one thing I noticed this time around so I, when I first I watched it, I was blown away by the, the colors in general 
but I never really paid attention to like when they use colors at certain points. And this time around, like I really noticed a lot that I think a lot of the colors are like purposefully chosen. So like for example, or at least um, like purposefully like if he uses one color, the next sequence is going to be almost is going to be the exact opposite of that color. Yeah, well, so, like, the first time you see Susie, she's dressed in all white. And so I don't think that's a coincidence given to that she's sort of the savior, like, the, the pure one that comes and saves them all um, and, like, discovers what's happening at the school. Um, but what really stuck out to me is the scene when Susie collapses and then they're in the her room and they have um, Madame Blanc, they have the doctor and they have miss tanner all standing around her bed if you if you look at it whenever it shows madame blanc it's always red behind her and then the doctor has green and miss tanner has blue which is interesting because if you look at like what those colors represent it like perfectly describes the character so like red being very menacing like evil um the green is supposed to be the color of life for like growth and safety so that would be with the doctor and then blue being like wisdom and courage and loyalty and so that perfectly goes with miss tanner and how she like her confidence in her dance and her um her mannerisms and then just her loyalty to the coven i thought that was really interesting to catch this time around hmm. i never would have thought yeah. of that and then there's like a lot of other scenes like when you first find like when you first see the directress like when they're all sleeping in that big area together like the literally the entire thing is red and that's like the first time you hear about the directress and fear like you see that she's in the room with them the the sound design for her was amazing her heavy breathing yeah like that's supposed to signify that something terrible is about to happen is so great I mean, yeah, no, I was a big, so like, it's all those, like, it's all those things that like, that's what I really enjoy about the, the movie, like some of like the chase and death scenes, like, I feel like they're a bit drawn out, like kind of cheesy, um, that I think kind of loses its magic the third time around watching it, but all the other stuff, like I picked up more this time around. So there's like some things that went down for me, but then there's other things that went way up for me. So it like it still keeps this balance for me. I mean, I kind of approached this like it was less of like an actual horror movie and more of a sensory experience than anything else. I think it's definitely worth yeah, designed to be. Yes. Um No, I'm a I'm a big fan. Um and it definitely makes me want to watch a lot of other Argento's work, especially his earlier stuff. We Not can, necessarily. We'll definitely get into this with the new, the updated Suspiria. But like, I was I was disappointed by the lack of dance. Like, it's... That is one, like Yeah. They make a big deal that it's at this prestigious dance academy, but yet they're doing the most simplest of dances that anyone could do. And it just <laughs> seems like... It just seems like the, this idea of the dance academy is not important at all. And this could take place literally anywhere. Except for that one guy who was just doing spins that whole time. <laughs> they they hired one dancer for this entire movie, and his whole purpose was to just spin around. <laughs> there is yeah, that, that is my one 
like the one big drawback of it, like I don't, I don't know if it just Argento didn't know how to to, to direct like a a dance sequence, so he just opted to you know to just not go for it. We so didn't embarrass himself. I don't, I don't know. Like, I there could have been like in the new Suspiria some incredible dance sequences. I mean, but, like, it, just, it just doesn't seem interested in any of that. No. Um, it's, yeah, it definitely is just, like, sticking to this very straightforward uh, narrative of just, like, telling this very simple horror story and everything else is just kind of just setting. It's just sort of there. So I wanted, I wanted to pose this question because um, we don't really know by the end of this movie, but, like, who or what do you guys think is the killer in this movie? When I saw the... You're, you're not explicitly told. When I saw the hairy arm in the beginning, right. I didn't know what to think of it, but then later in the movie, it made me think of Pavlov. I think... The ugly dude. And, like, he was somehow getting involved there. I yeah. like the subtlety of how it, the subtlety of the red herrings, I guess, where each male, because you see that in the very beginning, each male character that's introduced, you automatically assign them some sort of guilt of like, well, they could be the killer too. It could be them. And then at the end, you find out that it's women that are actually involved with the killings. And so that leads me to believe that it could, it might not be anyone in general. It might be just like this demon that they summon onto them. Yeah, that's kind of what I was wondering if that's what it was. Just sort of like, um, it's literally just sort of like an, a physical embodiment of evil. That's what's doing the killing, not any one person. I just think that hairy arm is an interesting image because it definitely sets up from the beginning that it wants you to think a man <laughs> is behind this. Yeah, but then there's some like things where it, I think it like it calls the question if it could even be f- possible because there's the very beginning where like she's staring out her window on like the second or third story, but then like the arm punches through and like pulls her face into the window. So like physically, I don't think anybody could be there. Yeah. It's a very interesting balance that it holds. Just um, maybe it, maybe it really was the wind man. Just the wind man. Just the wind. Um now when so in the second one, the second murder where the girl's running through the school and like falls in the barbed wire. Doesn't she see someone? Like actually see someone? No. no. Oh, she doesn't? Okay. For some reason, I thought I recall her seeing someone. Maybe not, I'm making that, that maybe remember. I'm making Maybe I'm making that up. I will... I wanted to say this to you. The first 20 minutes of this, I think, are the best. I think every nothing after the first twenty minutes really, like, really outdoes the first twenty minutes. Yeah, I'm not overly crazy about Jessica Harper in it. That's that's another thing too, where it's a cast of mostly women, and she's 
she's definitely I would say a strong female character, but because of how Italian movies were made at the time, like it's impossible for her to have any progression if you're watching an American version because her her dialogue is going to be dubbed and like people around her their dialogue is going to be dubbed so like they can't progress because their lines are being said by like three different people. Right. Yeah. Mm. Um. I, I do I do really enjoy like the character of Miss Tanner. I thought she was great. Like the woman who plays her is excellent. Mm-hmm. I think she has one of the strongest performances for me. Um, I'm not crazy about Jessica Harper. Some of her, well, because I think a lot of her stuff is in English, though, right? A lot of it, yeah. Yeah, because I don't. Again, this could just obviously just be a victim of the time, but a lot of it seems very acting. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's just the time. Like, a lot of the movies from that time period feel like that. Like, the... Even, like, some... The first three Friday the 13th movies, like, a lot of the acting is very much like that. And those were the very early 80s. Yeah. Well, like, Mm. but, like, Jessica Harper, I guess, isn't as bad when you compare it to some of the other supporting cast members. Where, like... I think Olga is the worst. Olga? Uh, oh yeah. <laughs> Which one was Olga? She's the one that's like uh she's the one that Susie stays with and like, she has the line that's like names if your oh, name begins with S, S or snakes. <laughs> Man, then, I I expect that weird, all of that. Then that weird exchange where they're like That's what I wanted out of this movie. I wanted that cheesy shit. It's one of those things where like, if the technical craft works on you and you're compelled by it, those things are so easy to overlook. Like, that doesn't bother me in the slightest. But if you don't care for that stuff, then it's so easy to be like, well, her acting is terrible and this scene doesn't make any sense. And, like, that's that's one of the crazy things about this movie that a lot of movies don't have. Yeah, I tried watching it with Rachel and she was not a fan. Did not like it at all. Mm. Which I guess it was one of those things where if you're into it, it's easy to overlook. I was I could easily overlook it, but Rachel could not overlook it. She hated it. It'd Which be interesting I to mean, have her on then. Let's but get that let's I get think that argument. is. But I think, <laughs> but I think that's to be expected from this type of film. Like I, I wouldn't say that this is a thing that a lot of people honestly would enjoy. Like I think like a like a. Um, I think a person that's just, you know, just like wants to watch like, a ton of movies and just experience a lot of things to see how different forms of the craft are done. Yeah, this could be for them, but your average moviegoer, not a chance in hell. This time and age, no. You mean you can't go into a movie like this uh, from a horror movie of this decade and kind of try and take the story seriously or take um, the performances seriously. Yeah. Like you can go into it with the idea of like, oh, I'm gonna enjoy this because I've heard there's some fantastic technical aspects to this. But other than that, I mean, you're not gonna really get much from it. I yeah, mean, I still, I still think the story is interesting. Like, I just, I just think that it takes a lot of, you know, creative liberties in getting from place to place that don't necessarily add up when you boil them down and think about them. Mm-hmm. But I still think, which is running a dance studio and these murders happening and them investigating like 
all that stuff still really does work and is compelling and is interesting. It's just the way the story is told that is sort of distancing and doesn't make a ton of sense, but yeah. isn't yeah. supposed to because that's not the type of movie that it is. It is kind of an interesting premise, but I don't. But I think if you strip away, you know, the the prog rock score, if you strip away the crazy colors, um, and you just presented it, and if you don't have the crazy design of the school, if it's just like a straightforward thing, I don't think this movie is very good. I don't think it's like that I bad. I don't think. I don't think. I think like without those things for me, like, I think that's what like really boosts it up. It's just like the visual experience of the whole thing, but the story in itself and like how it unfolds. Like I don't find it all that interesting. At least not anymore. Like not on this third viewing. Like, like I don't. It's it's not as interesting anymore. I'll definitely give you like this is not a movie that I plan to revisit all the time. Like it's, it's one that I enjoyed quite a bit, and I think it should be viewed sparingly because these do seem like it does seem like there are things in here that are just going to become annoying the more I watch it. Yeah. Like, like and the, that's kind the scene, of where I am at the scene, basically the only scene that's not the dance Academy where she goes and she sees the doctors that basically, well, okay, here's the entire idea behind the movie. <laughs> and it's like, I could, like I was annoyed watching that. The first time around, like seeing that scene like four times, I could be like, "Yeah, this movie's not good." I think we got him frozen. Oh, he's frozen. All right, Jake. We need our host. Oh, there he is. Yeah, you guys, you guys cut out there. I said I lost connection. I basically just said that that scene where everything is explained to her. I could see myself hating the more I had to see it. The things that, or where she's like having the conversation with the guy about wish covens. Yes. Yeah. Well, that's actually it's funny that you brought that up because I was about to ask you guys what you thought of that scene. It seems like it all just is kind of like, like what's going on? What's going on? All of a sudden, blah, like just verbal, just garbage. Just here's everything that's going on for you in the last ten minutes. That it wasn't was like that bad. It's like he knew that he wasn't explaining things very well, so he just like okay before I get to this grand finale. I'm going to explain everything to the viewers that I lost 15 minutes ago. Yeah. Rushing to a conclusion. It's kind of what it feels like. Um, I was just going to say something, but I forgot what it was. Chris said oh, the score reminded him of The Exorcist, but I can see that. For me, it was very John Carpenter. Yeah. I definitely think this one should be ranked higher as I mean I don't know where it's where people usually rank it if they do at all but I don't really hear people talk about it and I definitely feel like it's something that people should talk about. I think if you look at most top 50 horror films lists this is on it. Really? Yeah. All right. Well, I rest my case. Uh, what was I going to say? I really like the design of uh, Madame Blanc's office with sort of like the M.C. Escher-esque like wall like design everywhere. Then it has like the three colorful irises in it. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Like I really like that room design. Like, like some of the stuff, like a lot of the symmetry in it is like really cool. Like Olga's room I thought looks really cool. 
the uh, Madame Blanc office looks great. And then like that scene when Susie like first, no, no, sorry, not Susie. Um, when the woman like at the very beginning and en- enters into the school and she's like waiting for the elevator and you see like the really trippy insides of the, of the school, like of the hallway. And it's like perfectly symmetrical. Yep. There's very meticulous set design. That is very David Lynch. Yes. And that, yeah, now that you mention it, like that particular scene that I was like just referencing with like the symmetrical um, interior of this school, like very much reminds me of something David Lynch would have. I feel like even Olga's room would be something that David Lynch would have in a film. That was the one that reminded me of him the most. Besides the, the big red walls, which there's a lot of red curtains in Twin Peaks. Yeah. And like, but like Olga's room, it's like, it's like all white with like a lot of black splash on it. Yeah. That was like, oh, shit, that, that could be from a David Lynch movie. <laughs> I would love to see David Lynch's interpretation of Suspiria, like see him do a Suspiria film. Well, he would have to do six hours of meditation first. <laughs> Like, he would not explain anything. And you would probably walk away going, like, what the fuck did I just watch? Well, I mean, Isn't besides that most the, of his movies? I, yeah, I mean, a oh, lot yeah. Of oh, yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> this one more so? This is what I... I'm going to create a petition to David Lynch and have him... Uh, I want to see his vision of this. Have you seen his new <laughs> short? Nope, where can I watch it? Uh, I think it's on Vimeo or YouTube or something. Like, it's pretty fucking weird. <laughs> What's it called? Oh, I don't remember. Hold on. Uh, besides anything else, I don't really have much else to say about this movie, if you want to move on. Uh, yeah, I don't have... Uh, I think I've talked about all I want to talk about. Chris? Yeah. No, I'm, I'm all set. I'm good. So, should we give star ratings and then uh, put it to a vote? We should. All right. Chris, what are you giving it out of five stars? Out of five, I'm going to give it a four. Okay. I'm going four and a half. It's also going to be a four and a half for me. <laughs> um. All right. So, since this was my nomination, do I vote first for the Hall of Fame? Yes. yes. Okay. It gets my vote for the Hall of Fame. Gets mine as well. Chris? Yeah. Definitely. All right. We added another one. Naked number two. If you're just listening and you want to know what the other one is, go listen to the Halloween episode. Or now you don't have to because Jacob just told you what it is. (laughs) But, like, you should still go listen to that. I think I think the one that I propose because I am next. The one I propose I think is definitely gonna make it in. Do you have I think, your in mind? Oh, I know what it is. I think Chris specifically is gonna love it. I can't tell if you're being facetious or not. No, no, no. I actually think Chris is going to really enjoy it. Is it Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone? No. Ah, shit. <laughs> the David Lynch short is called Ant Head, by the way. Ant Head. Okay. Is it have anything? Is it related at all to a racer head? Uh, when you think of the title, think of it literally in the same way that Trash Humpers <laughs> is literal. <laughs> okay, I look forward to this. 
All right, well, then I guess let's move on to Luca Guadagna's uh, Suspiria. I'm not going to bother reading the plot synopsis because it's essentially the same exact thing. Plus a whole Um, lot more. Plus a whole lot more. But I will say that it stars Dakota Johnson, Tilda Swinton, Chloe Grace Moretz. Um, So what did you guys think of this remake or reimagining, if you will, of Suspiria? Oh, I fucking loved this movie so much. <laughs> I liked it a lot the first time I saw it, and then I watched it for the second time over the weekend, and it's still just as good. I I like it even more, despite the fact that I picked up three small things that I would like to quibble with as we get going to the discussion. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think it's the boldest movie that I have seen from 2018 by far. Um, I think it would have been way easier for Luca Guadagnino to try to go head-to-head with Argento's visuals. And I like that he doesn't. I like that he takes the exact opposite uh, approach. And instead of going... With big colors, he goes with extremely muted grays and, like, almost no color at all. Yep. I think Tilda Swinton is amazing in all three oh. of roles. Oh, so great. Wait. Tilda Swinton? Yeah. She I plays can't... three different characters. Which characters? So, did you pick up that she was the doctor? No, I didn't. She is the doctor. Are you killing me? Yeah, I've heard that, and I still did not see it this time around. I was like, this is some I fucking incredible makeup. Like, I could I not tell. I didn't see it the first time, but I definitely saw it the second time. And then she plays Helena Marcos as well. Uh, okay. That, that wow. I still That I still can't see between all, with all the makeup. That's impressive. Yeah, I cannot. I still cannot see it in the doctor at all. Like it's crazy. Did she do the voice and everything? Yeah. Wow. I I thought that was a dude the whole time. Kudos to you, Tilda Swinton. Kudos to you. Yeah, Tilda Tilda Swinton is fucking amazing. I love her to death. I I like Dakota Johnson a lot in this too. Uh, Mia Goth is good, just as good as well. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, the dancing in this movie is phenomenal. Yes. The stuff is so... And while like I'm not an expert on dance, I don't know what makes that good dancing, but it is like just visually striking to see. Like, I fucking loved... Like, the first, when I saw this in theaters, which, first off, you guys missed out big time not seeing this in theaters. Mm. Two... <clears throat> That first, the very first dance sequence that we really get to see, where you get like the cut of um, Dakota Johnson dancing and then showing what's happening to the other girl at the same time. Don't want to spoil anything. I love that scene. Like it's so, like it's beautiful and incredibly fucking disturbing at the exact same time. That's my favorite sequence of the movie. Like I like love it. Like, the second time around, like, I was just, like, waiting for that scene. Like, it's so good. And it's incredibly well 
Minecraft. Like, what I love about it is, like, with the other girl who's, like, in that room, like, that in and of itself is, like, its own choreographed dance in a weird way. And you're getting, like, the two, like, the two extremes of it. I actually watched, I had to, I watched it the first time, and then I went back and I watched it again immediately after. And the first time, my, my mind was making connections between the two um, dances and how they were going along. And then I went back the second time, and it really didn't seem like the dances were connected at all too much like beyond the the fact that they were trying to accentuate big moves and big moves between the other dance that that girl was going had going on so (laughs) just kind of left a lot up to like interpretation as far as what's going on like the movements that the second girl was making compared to the first girl oh definitely um I also loved the dancing the the when they danced to Volk at the end towards the end. Yep. Like that's also like another great one of mine and like I love like the costumes that they're wearing for the dance too. Like everything about it just works. Like I love the lighting. I love the costumes that they're wearing in it. I love the dance in itself. Like it's so eerie and so good. <laughs> Okay, I'm really curious. Is that an actual dance, Volk? I don't know. I don't know. It's chore- I forgot who choreographed it, but like, yeah, it's good. Um, now, Chris, you say you said you seen it twice now. No, I only watched the movie once. I just watched that one dance sequence twice. Uh, okay, yeah. so Zach, I'll ask you. Yes. Knowing how it ends. Yeah. What did you think of it watching it for a second time? Um, did you notice that you picked up on a lot more? I picked or... up a lot more thematically, and yeah. I also noted like the second time around is where I picked up my flaws with the movie. Yep. Uh, I don't really want to. I don't. There's a lot want of... to spoil it. Yeah, I don't want to either. But I will say, so watching it the second time. There's a lot of very subtle foreshadowing that happens, which I think is really clever. Because I think on a first time, it just sort of adds like this sort of creepy nature to it. But then on the second time, it's like very good foreshadowing. So one of the ones that I picked up on is um, when Susie Banyan is waiting to go in and dance to audition. She has that very heavy breathing which the mother has, which is also the breathing that we see in Dario Gento's um, Suspiria. And she's standing beneath a Marcos poster. Okay. Which, so I got picked up, I was like, Luca, you sneaky dog, you. Like, this is pretty fucking clever. I, also, I like that this movie doesn't try to hide the fact that the witches are involved. Like, yes. It's a very big part of the movie. I mean, you have to do a lot less explaining that way. That is true. I think that's what... So, Zach had texted me and asked me if I liked the remake more than the original. And I'm here to say that I do prefer this remake more than I like the original. Yeah, I will say that as well. I like it more. 
what I was saying that I what I really like about this is instead of just trying to play this mystery horror of like oh what's happening to the people like I really like the idea of using witches and dance to sort of explore like the idea of of like motherhood and like the ideas of power and like abusive power and like violence like a like women perpetrating violence against other women like i think that is just way more fascinating than just the straight general whodunit type of thing Uh, yeah i think i think this movie is very subtle at not being subtle if that makes sense like explain i think a, a lot of the themes of this movie are plainly stated by characters but because this movie is such an assault on the senses it's very easy to miss them. Mm-hmm. So, like, because there's just so much thrown at you, it's. I think it's easy to miss, like, a point where uh, one of the, the women says, like, when women tell you something, you better believe them and don't write them off as delusions. Yep. <laughs> so, like, that stuff is very... It's very out there, but it was something that I missed the first time I watched it. And then at the end with Susie sitting with the doctor and she's basically just saying, like, we need shame, like, we need guilt. And it's, like, basically this idea of those who don't understand the past are doomed to repeat it. And, like, that's very, it's very, very big in, like, the German community and the German culture of not forgetting, like, what the Holocaust was so that they don't repeat it. Like, it's very much ingrained in them. Mm-hmm. I think that's a very interesting idea as well, as, like, you know, this that these things of shame and feeling guilty about things, like, guilt, feeling guilty about the mistakes your ancestors made, but while still also, I think the very, the final shot is sort of suggesting that even feeling these things, you still may be doomed to repeat them. Yeah. Yep. <clears throat> I will say that that the scene where Susie Banyan reveals what she's all about, like I think that is like one of the most like visually striking scenes of. I won't go as far as to say of any movie of 2018 because I think Mandy definitely has some pretty striking visuals, but that scene is fucking intense. Some of the blood effects aren't great, but it's it's easy to overlook. I don't think it was intense. You don't think it, it was so? It, it didn't strike me as intense. It just kind of struck me as unnerving. Like, like uh, kind of nauseous. Yeah. In, like, yeah. in like a good way, though. Like a good like way. When I, like, when I first saw it, like, when I was in theaters, I, was, I remember seeing it just being like, are we going here? Holy fuck, we are going here. It's, it's crazy. And, like, I've heard, like, um, there are, like, some people that were, like, talking around me after the movie, and, like, they were not into it whatsoever. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's spoiler, but, like, I love that, like, three minutes after that scene takes place, we cut to, like, a cleanup scene, and the girl's, like, <laughs> picking guts off the floor. <laughs> oh, man, that was, I laughed hysterically the second time I watched it. I definitely think there are some scenes that are supposed to be like oddly comical, like like also like li- earlier when they're like picking up the girl with like the hooks and like carrying her out of the room. 
Yeah, I would. So I, the camera a... work in this is phenomenal. Like the way, like, there's almost a constant sort of like swooping, spinning camera. Like a lot of the overhead stuff is amazing. Like this movie is so finely crafted. Yes, and I love like the quick cuts and like the disorienting, how disorienting like the dream sequences are. And then, like, and then just this idea that, okay, well, these these witches are doing this to them purposefully. They want them to see this stuff. It's just, it's a very interesting choice. Yes. I also, like, liked a lot, like, what was happening of, like, the inner... Like, I like how open they were about, like, the inner dynamics of the coven. And, like, some of the struggles they were going to and how that, like, spilled out to affect the students in the school like i thought that was really neat um like i'm glad they i'm really glad that they didn't choose to hide any of that stuff that they were very just open with it and just allowed that to fuel the film moving um, forward did, did you guys sense that there was some sort of um not just that there was some sort of uh dynamic uh or power struggle between the group but did you sense that the not uh fuck helena marcos but the other girl, Miss Blanc or whatever. Yeah. Did you sense that she wanted that power? Yeah, absolutely. Oh yeah, big time. Really? Okay. I think I think she <laughs> wants to be named head of the coven or of the school. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I, I definitely got that too. Okay, I just wanted to be sure because like going and watching it the first time, that wasn't something I really paid attention to too much. Just because this whole movie for me essentially was breaking down into just how uneasy I felt the entire time. But like everything was so plain right in front of me. I think that's what made me uneasy throughout the whole entire movie. Not just like the the grotesque things you see or the disorientation. It was just how there was no leading you on to any secrets. Because everything was an open book from the very beginning. Yeah, I think, I think this, this one does the horror aspect better. Like there are scenes in this that are genuinely terrifying, where it genuinely conjures up like feelings of dread, and being like, "Oh God, no! Like, no more, please." Like especially the scene going. where like. Sarah's like running through that like down area and she finds the girls and whatnot. Yeah, and then like I thought that, that scene was like really terrifying. Cutting that between the, mm. the back and forth cutting between that and then the dancing is just like God, it's it's so difficult to like sit through and stomach. Yeah. Like I think this is like a like a very clever idea of like using dance as like a form of like spells and witchcraft like i think that in itself is like a really cool fascinating idea i will it have like dance has like its own power so it kind of does already like in a general sense like you know when you're watching it you can be moved but then to use that to say that it can portray like it can perpetrate horrific things like I, I just find that to be a very cool idea i suppose this is the one of the non-spoiler sort of issues that I had on the second time around. I'm not even saying it's an issue. I guess I just want to understand better. Like, I don't get what the witches want. 
didn't he say at one point that like kind of playing off of what the one of the doctors said in the original was they just want to do bad. But like, wasn't wasn't the whole purpose of it just to get uh yeah hell because they're very upfront about it's, this. In it's the to, movie, find, so it's, to find it's yeah I I get it it's to find the host for hell in the Marcos, but why? Like what what are they going to achieve by that? Like what are they going to gain? Wasn't that what do just they to, want? Wasn't that, was that just to prolong her life? Like, because yeah. if not, she dies. That's what right, they're gaining. Like, is they're gaining their leader for longer? Prolong her life for what? Like, what? What are they? What's their end game here? It doesn't need to be an end game. The end game is just for longevity. Yeah. Why well, can't it just simply be she doesn't want to die? She just wants to keep living. Well, I think as we see here. Longevity for these women is just for this coven is just not possible. Like eventually, as we see, like three or four students in this movie begin to figure out what's really going on. But that's just going to keep happening. They're very terrible at keeping secrets. But this this dance studio was open for years and years and years, and this was the only hinted uh, case of people finding out. Sure, it's the only one we know about, but that doesn't mean it's the only one. Yeah, but they didn't even hint at the fact that this was the only one, so unless told otherwise, we have to believe that this has been the only case. I don't know, like, I just... I just, like, okay, great. You've brought back your leader now. She has a younger host body was it just to the, live longer, but, like, what are you going to do was with it that? Just like, what do you like, want? Isn't it just to maintain power? Like, that's like one of the themes of the film. Like, just power and gaining power and, like, the abusive power. Like, what you do when you have it. So it just feels like she just wants to just keep living just for her own vain reasons. Like, just doesn't want to die. Just wants to keep going on. Be the head. Be the top dog. I guess I get what you're saying a little bit, though. Because these older women, like, they're... They have powers, but it's nothing compared to this woman, and they're and they're not really gaining anything throughout this whole entire process. And any any power that they have is simply just over each other. Like they're completely yeah. secluded from the outside world. Like they don't interact with anyone outside of this academy. So whatever power there is to be had, it's simply just the dynamics of that said special group. But they could have powers over others if they wanted to. Because you see that when the detectives come to visit. So they they have power over people. I just think they keep it to a select group so they don't expose themselves. Maybe. But as you see it, like, none of the people involved in the ritual remember the ritual. So they obviously have some way of getting around that. Yeah, I guess that's true. Hmm. I don't know. I guess it, I guess it doesn't really makes sense why they'd be why they'd stick themselves to strictly the dance studio i mean i understand not going like worldwide but you think they would cause a little more mayhem for being people that just want to cause mayhem it's not something that like bothers me to my core but it was just something that i noticed that like as we were getting close to the end i never really understood what they wanted yeah yeah i guess that's a solid point I guess I was just so wrapped up in everything else. I just didn't really care. What were the other? You said you had three. There's one. What were the other two? 
Uh, they're sort of spoiler. Oh, I see. Uh, do you guys feel the need to have a spoiler discussion on this one? Just to talk um, about the finer points, why not? Okay. So I guess I'm sort of out of non-spoiler things to say. Is there anything else you guys want to talk about? Um, I thought it was just a little too long. Like no, I can't. No, 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 no. Hold, hold, hold on, no, no. Hear me, hear me. Out. I'm not saying anything in the movie can be taken out for the sake of enjoyment. It's just my own personal preference. I have a hard time watching movies that are this long. So it was just a little too long to keep my interest until the big event at the end. I, I get enjoying every, every second of it, so it, I didn't want it to end. But I will. what I will bring up in spoilers, I think, is a way that this movie could be 40 minutes shorter. I will say that I felt what you were feeling, Chris, the first time I watched it, but then when I rewatched it over the weekend... I didn't think it was too long at all. Like it, bre- like it flew right by. Like it, I feel like it makes sense. Like I feel like everything that happens in the movie is an enjoyable, <laughs> not like enjoyable to my core, but like it's an entertaining part to the movie. It's just it's hard for me to sit down and watch a movie that's two and a half hours long of people dancing for like a third of the movie. I but, still think there is a different. I think what's different between this and, like, the Nutcracker is, like, I feel like this dancing is just way more interesting and, like, engaging than watching something like that. It's engaging because the dancing has to do with the plot, but it there were points in that didn't really connect with the plot to me. I don't know. I could watch them dance all, like, for, like, three hours. Like, I, I fucking loved it. Like, I... Despite the movie being very upfront about a lot of things, there is still something inherently mysterious that sort of keeps you tugging you along. And it's like, it's a very hard thing to define where like, you don't know what you want to know until it's revealed to you. Yeah. So like, I almost kind of feel like the twist at the end, I think it's like kind of out of nowhere and kind of, unnecessary like i don't think you necessarily need to go there that's that's the word i would use is unnecessary it's like it definitely it it seems odd that they're building to that i don't know when you watch it the second time obviously you know what to look you know what to expect so you can kind of see these little subtle things but i don't know if if on a first watch they're so obvious and grand enough that you can tell, like, okay, something's going on with Susie Banyan here. It gave me a sense of justice at the end. Is that weird? No, I mean... Like in a weird, twisted, sick, sadistic way. You could arguably say that Dakota Johnson's character, like, is the hero. She takes out, you know, people that are trying to deceive her. Okay. Okay. Just wanted to make sure I wasn't going sicko mode. <laughs> Before we get into spoilers, I just wanted to say that I I do love the Tom York score. Yes, score is very good. Oh, here's something that non-spoiler. What did you What do you feel about them? The very opening bit where it says. Suspiria, set in a divided 1977 Berlin. This story is told in six parts in an epilogue. I'm fine with it. It doesn't bother me. 
Really? It's I'm it's incredibly self-indulgent, that. but so is this entire movie. So See, I, I'm I'm cool with the parts, but I don't like that it tells you it's going to be six parts in an epilogue. Cuz when I'm watching, it, I'm kind of like, okay, here's three part 3. Oh, okay, here's part 4. Oh, we're winding down. Okay, part 6. Okay, here we go. We're getting done here. Like, I don't think I like being that aware of where I am in the film. That was that was the one thing. No, I'm not gonna say it was the one thing because there was so many things. But um, that was one of the things that kept stringing me along because once it got to a new part, my mind kind of got refreshed. In a sense, where like it was like, okay, now I can, um, now I can focus even harder now because some it's a different stage. Something different's about to happen. Yeah. Also, like I don't even remember the names of the titles. Like, mm-hmm. they came up, they go away, the thing carries on, and I'm like, and then all of a sudden it'll be like, part three, and then I'm like, oh, wait, shit, yeah. What was fuck was part two called? Mm-hmm. That's, like, it would be, like, my one, my one big drawback. I did not, was not crazy about that. kind of took me out of it in those moments where it just pops up. But then I quickly forgot about it and got wrapped up in the dancing. Mm-hmm. And Tilda Swinton. Oh, Anything well. else? Mm, nothing non-spoiler. Okay, you want to give star ratings to this? Five. Four and a half. It's a five banger for me. <clears throat> um, all right. So, spoiler discussion for Luca Guadagnino's Suspiria. So, if you haven't seen the film don't want to know what we're what's coming up uh go ahead and turn it off or if you're like us just don't give a fuck keep listening three okay, zach, so, two one all right so lay it on a sec what are the two other flaws that you did not like uh so without because the twist is there you have a reason for the doctor character without that twist he's completely unnecessary He's only there to investigate the witches because Susie Bain is not going to do it because she knows what they're about the entire time. I mean, isn't he the one who triggers what's-her-face to break her leg? Not, like, to, to actually do the act of breaking her leg, but he's the one who triggers her to investigate. Right. But because... So he says you should go investigate this... But that's only because Susie herself is not interested in investigating because she already knows what's going on. Because she is, in fact, matter suspirium. Like, she doesn't need to investigate because she already knows. And that's not something that the audience knows until the very end when it's revealed. Yeah, but he doesn't tell Susie. He doesn't talk to Susie about it. He talks to her friend. We're led to believe that Susie is the main (laughs) character. And so when someone besides her is investigating... It raises suspicion. Like why? Like why is this main character not interested in the deaths of these girls and what's going on? Okay. Like at least like this is what I was thinking. Yeah, no. Well, I definitely remember the first time watching it and like kind of wondering like what the hell is going on because there's the scene like the witches are like have like the two cops mesmerized and they're like playing with the officer's penis and then she just like steps away and just starts laughing. I was kind of like. Why would she be laughing at that? Like, that's really weird. There's like, and there's there's also like ten to fifteen minutes stretches at a time where 
Dakota Johnson just isn't in the movie. Like, she's just sidetracked somewhere else. And it's just like, all that stuff seems really weird. And then you get this reveal that, well, yeah, she's Madison Spiritum. She knows what's been going on this whole time. That's why she's here. So do you think she's supposed to be Madison Spiritum, like, reincarnated? Like, she found another host? So that's why none of the other people recognize her? Like, how do they... That's what I want to know. Like, how do they not know that she's Mother Suspirium? And why doesn't she make it known earlier that she's Mother Suspirium? Well, it's... I think she wants to know for certain that they are, in fact, not being loyal to her. So, Oh, like, I see. So she's just playing them to see whose loyalty lies where? Right. So Helena Mark... Like, because that's why she kills everyone who voted for Madame Blanc. Or no, she voted for Marcos. Helena Marcos. I think she wants to be confronted with her for certain, to know for certain that she is what she says she is. Yep. Or okay. she isn't that what she sense. says she is. Yeah. How great is that, like death reincarnate, like a death incarnate thing that like swoops around? I like the idea of it. I I don't think they have the money to really pull off anything that they wanted to. I think that's kind of why you get, like, the really, like, weird, like, quick, like, like, uh, whatever you call that editing technique. It almost reminds me of, like, the the head orakai in Fellowship of the Ring. A little bit. It only has one eye. Oh, does it? Yeah. Oh, I totally didn't catch that. I know it doesn't have a mouth. I noticed that the second time around. Yeah, it was pretty badass. Okay, so you're, and then your second flaw, Zach? Or third, I guess? I don't remember what it is. You don't have it written down in your notes there? No. I guess it couldn't have been that big of a flaw. I don't think it is. That's that's the big one, like, for me. Which is that, like, this character is only there to service your twist at the end, and I have an issue with that. Like, yeah. without, like, if she is not matters to Spirium, like, what is the purpose of that character in the yeah. movie? I want to know what the point of, of, like, ending the film, like, 40 years later with, like, the zoom in on the heart I think it's supposed to. Sh- I think it's supposed to show that you can acknowledge guilt to a certain point, but you might still be doomed to repeat those mistakes. Or to, show, is- or to show that it's that it's been forgotten about and so because you have forgotten about it you will repeat those mistakes oh i see also um why did they dive into her backstory if she's just going to end up beating madame suspirion uh it's complete red herrings to throw you off her backstory what do you mean like how her this idea that Susie was, was abused as a child and whatnot Oh, well, maybe she was, like, abused because she was, like, Madame Suspirium reincarnated or something. Like, her parents knew she was weird. It just made me feel like she was a host. I just, I think it's just there to make you think she's a real person and not, like, this grand witch. They just want you to believe that she's a normal girl or somewhat normal girl. Yeah, but then I feel I feel that's where the downfall is a little bit, where it kind of makes it seem um, a little uh, that makes the twist seem a little far fetched. 
Well, I think so. Like when you when you dive so much into her backstory and you get so much information about her, just to be told at the end that none of that was true, basically. Well, I think I don't don't know if you can say that it wasn't true. I don't think we know that for certain. I think one one of the bigger like subtle reveals is how when, when there's the scene where she's studying as like in the kitchen, and she keeps like going back to Germany and keeps writing like Berlin. Yeah. It could be suggesting that she's like been there before and like knew she was always going to wind up there. Or that like she's been planning this since she was a little kid or something. Yeah. I guess so, yeah. But you said like how did they not know she's matter Spirium? I think the same is true for the woman who's claiming to be her. Like how did they know that she how did they know she wasn't <laughs> fake? Like, like it just it's very clear they don't know who matter Spirium truly is. And so that's why it's easy for her to be disguised as that. Plus, yeah. when she shows the fact that, like, when she shows her legit powers of being mad at Suspiria, you think at that point they'd be like, oh, shit, well, fuck this lady. Let's go with her. Now, do you think, like, the way that, because her mother has that, like, breathing that, like, almost perfectly mirrors the directress from Dario Argento's. So do you think it's something where, she gave birth to the new matter, matter Suspirium? Could be. Mm, could just be a, a subtle nod to the original. Yeah, it could be. I, I was like wondering the second time around watching it if if that was supposed to be like she gave birth to it or something. And like that's why she treated Susie so bad as a kid because she like knew what she had gave birth to. I don't think she knew what she would have gave birth to. I think... Because she was born as this witch, she probably was a problem child to deal with, and so she was just reprimanded accordingly, but in very yeah, like, harsh ways, like being burned with the with the iron. I, with the iron, yeah, yeah, that could be. Uh, anything else? Uh, spoiler, you guys want to bring up? How grotesque looking was? Freaking Mar- Miss Marcos there. Oh, God. The Very most gross. disgusting person I have ever seen in a movie. Literally the most disgusting person I have Did ever seen. Did you notice seen. that? Did you notice that on her arm, there's an arm? It was flapping. Yeah. It was flapping like a fin. <laughs> it was so weird. I think I didn't was... even notice that the first time. Mm-mm. No, like I literally gagged in my mouth as soon as I saw her like stand up. And she looked like juicy. Like, I, I was sitting there, I was like, like, the, oh, most, oh, oh. the most disgusting person in cinema history. By did you far. get, did you get crazy, queasy, Chris, when the, when uh, Susie Banyan's dancing and that girl's getting all twisted and contorted? I didn't get queasy, I was just sitting there and I was so interested in the motions and how the girl was responding to Susie's motions that I just couldn't take my eyes off of it. I mean, there were points in times where I was just like flinching a little bit, but See, like, I that, was like, queasy. That doesn't bother me, but like bone through skin, can't do it. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, that was pretty. Can't yeah. do it. That was <laughs> some raunchy stuff, man. This whole This whole movie was just was just unsettling and nauseating in the absolute best way possible. That's what's crazy, like about like that's what I love about this so much. Like it's like a horror film, but there's like two scenes 
three scenes that are like really like the horror scenes but i think it's enough to like really carry its weight those three scenes plus the fact that they hit you with that like that scene where she's moving around so early in the movie in comparison to like what you generally see like something that impactful that early like yeah. normally they would show something kind of subtle or you would see like like um a death but it would be like a quick one but to see something that prolonged that that drawn out and that just disgusting was super bold of well, I guess it's definitely bold in Argentos too when you have the girl being stabbed repeatedly and then the knife into the beating heart. That definitely pretty that definitely smacks you in the face. You gotta you gotta match it somehow. You you gotta compete. Even if he's playing it differently, he's still competing against the original. <laughs> um, I remember I have... my third quibble, but it's not spoiler. Yeah. Alright, bring it up the... anyways. It's the the one of the coven members who kills herself, like maybe yeah, I was that confused about it. that. Like it's obviously supposed to mean something, but I don't think it's very well like explored. I don't I think was... they have time to explore it. So like when she kills herself, it's just like whatever. Who cares? I was very confused about who her character is. Like what is supposed to be? Yeah, who she's like, supposed I, to be? I don't know. Like is she killing herself in protest and disgust of where the coven's going? Like I. I'm very confused about that. And they showed her like a couple times before that just being like an overseer. Like a not an overseer, but like a watcher. Bruce yeah. Willis? Huh? Yeah, the overseer. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, Zach, you had said that when we got to spoilers, you knew how you could shave 40 minutes off this. How would that be? Yeah, you cut out the doctor character. Oh, that's it? <laughs> yeah. Oh. If you, if you get rid of the twist... His character is completely unnecessary, and you just saved yourself about forty minutes. I don't mind. I guess I don't mind the twist. But do you think there's any other way they could have gotten there, like exploring the school without that? Without yeah. the doctor pushing someone along. The one, the woman who's claiming to be Matter Suspirium, is actually Matter Suspirium, and Susie just becomes very intrigued by all the murders going on, so she investigates herself. Or yeah. you see, or you see her friend investigating a little earlier. Yeah, just like just like something along like again, that doctor character is only there to serve as a twist, and I that's just generally something I don't care for. Well, it's, the character is also there to for Tilda Swinton to show that she can play a man and a woman and completely fool Chris and me I too. I mean, no still got idea. me. I still cannot see it. It, like, I see pictures and I cannot see Tilda Swinton. I like that there was not one man in this movie. Besides the cops. Yeah, but they're not, like, characters. They're basically mannequins. Who talk for, like, two minutes. It is a bold move. Yep. It was a cool move, man. All right, see, I don't hate women. <laughs> Anything else for you guys? Nope. Mm. I'm good. No. I guess that's a wrap for me, too. Thanks for tuning in. All right. So let's move on, and I guess we'll get into some other things that we watched this week. Whoa, 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 homeboys. Whoa, 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 whoa. 
we gotta do our top five remakes. Oh shit, that's right. I totally forgot that we had that list going. I totally forgot that we were doing that this week. That's right. Luckily, my list was made like two weeks ago. Nice. And by the looks of your letterbox, you guys ain't been watching shit. So we gotta do this. No, I, I haven't did been not, updating. I did not bother to rewatch any of the movies that I was gonna put up to make for this list. You're gonna hate one of my picks. In terms of what we watched, I really only have like two things to mention. So yeah, I got like four. I got um, one. Okay, so let's set it up. So uh, I think it was Chris proposed that in talking about the remake of Suspiria, we would talk about five films that are remakes. So I guess let's talk about how did you guys make your list. So I think my setup is mine is just the think the top five movies, just like how good they are based and they just happen to be remakes. Zach, I know you were just saying a little different, right? I did. Mine is the top five remakes that I feel are better than the original. I followed suit with Jake. I just did the top five remakes that I enjoyed watching. I did this from a purely um, a pure enjoyment standpoint and less from a technical standpoint well chris hit us with it what's your number five you're gonna hate this so much guys um my number five is the parent trap (laughs) parent trap the parent trap Lindsay lohan's the parent trap all right okay i was a fan of that movie so much what is this what is it? Or is there another movie called The Parent Trap that came out way earlier? Yeah. Yes. Yes, there is. And I thought that. I uh, guess I. Huh. This was one of the most entertaining movies that I watched as a kid. Um, even to this day, I enjoy watching Lindsay Lohan play not one, but two characters in a movie. <laughs> <laughs> one of them with a British accent, might I add. Um. And the parents were just stellar. It was just an entertaining movie. I got nothing else to say about it. That's my number five. Okay. (laughs) I just want to briefly mention three things that I considered for my number five spot, but did not make it. Uh, I heavily considered Ocean's Eleven. Uh, Okay. I wasn't sure if Casino Royale would count. It is kind of a reboot of the James Bond franchise. I might have counted it if you could make an argument. Uh, and then Mission Impossible, which is a remake of a British TV show. So, But I did not include. My actual number five is Steven Spielberg's War of the Worlds. Mm. Okay. Ugh. Ugh. I will say that it's not better than the H.G. Wells radio performance, but in terms of the science fiction movie made in the 50s, it's it's far superior to that. Okay. Uh, my fa- number five is Francis Ford Coppola's Dracula. Interesting. Even with Keanu Reeves? I fucking, <laughs> I fucking hate Keanu Reeves in that movie. That's why it's at five. Oh. God, that has got to be the biggest miscast in the history of film. One of these days. One of these days, we might have to do a top five miscasts. 
Should do a top five miscasts. <laughs> well, shit. There's number one for you. You already know my my number one. Yeah, I knew. All right. Um, number one, Bradley Cooper stars porn. Hey, you can fuck off, you bitch. <laughs> fuck off. Um, my number four is actually Ocean's Eleven. Nice. I love the Ocean's franchise. Yes, even Ocean's Twelve. Um, and Ocean's 8, to be honest. I thought Ocean's 8 was a good movie. You realize that Ocean's 13 is the one no one likes, right? Yeah, but Ocean's 12 wasn't good either. <laughs> <laughs> but I enjoyed right. it nonetheless. Fair enough. Uh, my number four, which I really wanted to put number one, but I just couldn't, is uh, Peter Jackson's King Kong Really? Okay. The ultimate edition, the one that's forty-five minutes longer. <laughs> so it's like, so what is that? Putting at three forty-five? Yeah, it's about that. It's Fuck, dude. So long. There's no, there's nothing about me that wants to watch that full length. It's great. I love it. It's gonna be split into two halves, and both halves are both entertaining. You have to change the Blu-ray discs. It's too much. It's too long. <laughs> <laughs> Oh gosh! At what uh, point does it cut out and get to the second disc? Just out of curiosity. Yeah, what's the stopping point? I don't want to say it because it makes it sound ridiculous. But it's like oh, now you got to. It's like ten minutes after they get to the island, you have to change the disc. <laughs> what? Yeah, you get, really? You, you go to disc two without ever seeing King Kong. Oh <laughs> my god. Oh my god, the greatest thing you could do is like you should be like, hey, you should check out Peter Jackson's King Kong and then just give him the first disc. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. What do you got, Jake? Uh, my number four, we talked about it on this show. It is Luca Guadinia's Suspiria. Mm. Well, I will just chime in then and say that it is my number three remake. Well, it's not your turn, Zach. It's Chris's. Yeah, my my number three was King Kong. So, are you really? <laughs> yeah. Peter Jackson's King Kong or Peter. Kong Skull Island? Don't even come at me with that shit. <laughs> we all know the answer. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so three, three. Okay, so my number three is um, Yorgos Lanthimos, The Killing of a Sacred Deer. Really? So this must be the one that you found was actually made into a movie. That was the one. And that was when I asked if remakes of plays count. Hmm. There is is one that I think should be your number one, and if it's not, I'm disappointed in you. So we'll see. That's mine? Yeah. I think my my number one is going to throw you guys off. You're not going to see it. It's the parent trap, isn't it? It's the parent trap. (laughs) It's Freaky Friday. Uh, I love this thing. (laughs) <laughs> oh my gosh. Alright. Um my up my turn? Yep. My number two is The Departed. That's another one that I wish I had gotten to see the original for. Good choice. Mm, was a big fan. I do like the departed. My I thought I was so surprised when I found out that, that was that's a remake of uh, a different movie. Different different name. Different title, by the way. Yep. It's a Chinese film, right? Yes. Yeah, okay. It is, but like it's not 
it's called Internal Affairs. It doesn't have a That's Chinese right. name. I mean, th- there is a name that it was released as in China. <laughs> that is Chinese. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Zach, your number two? Uh, my number two is the Coen Brothers' True Grit. Oh, okay. All right, I'm just going to go off and say that's my number one. Not crazy. Is it really? Hmm? What's that? I fucking turned. Well, I, I figured he said it. It's, well, your number, your number one's, one's got to be a star. Is, no, it's got to be a star is born. Um, I didn't put a star is born or Suspiria on my list because it came out last year. I want to sit with it more. Seen any of the other stars born? So that is, I see. I, it's not true. Um, I have actually seen the Barbra Streisand one now because it was on Hulu. Or Hulu. So yeah. you, you watched the one that everyone hated. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my number two is three films, but it's all just one one big story. Lord of the Rings. The Dark Knight trilogy. Oh. I guess I never I even considered totally those. Forgot about the Dark Knight. <laughs> Losers. <laughs> Greatest fucking superhero movie ever. Yeah, the Dark Knight is still number six behind Pear Trap, though. <laughs> <laughs> Naturally. Uh, so my number one is Francis Ford Coppola's Dracula. Oh, that was number one. Okay, interesting. It's a masterpiece. Uh, Chris, what's your number one? My number one is uh, True Grit. Oh, it was actually True Grit. Oh, okay, I thought you were joking. Re- no, no, I, I'm always being serious. That was actually a really good movie. I enjoyed every second of that. Huh. Okay, Zach, what's your guess for my number one? Um, I mean, Lord of the Rings is technically a remake, so it could be that. Was what's it a remake? Oh, I oh. guess that's true. Oh, that's true. It's a, it's a cartoon. I thought that was The Hobbit. No, uh, it, Lord it has... Elements ring fellowship in it. Okay. I don't know. I know what it should be. If you are as big a fan of this movie as the claim to be. Uh, oh, shit, that's true. Huh, okay. Maybe I'll have to, re- maybe I'll have to revise this in time. But my number one that I was actually thinking of is Mad Max Fury Road. Uh, it's a sequel, bud. What? No, totally a reboot. Uh, Mad Max Fury Road is most definitely a sequel. A what? No way. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's a sequel? That is most definitely a continuation of the franchise, not a rebooting of the franchise. Are you sure? What? I am almost positive. That's funny as butthole. <laughs> I could have... Sw- okay, I gotta look this up now. I could have sworn that this was supposed to be a reboot. Okay, the fourth installment and a reboot of the Mad Max franchise, Zach. Well, that proves us both right. <laughs> well, the fourth installment just means that it's the fourth to come out under the Mad Max title, but it's a reboot. You can count it if you want. It shouldn't be your number one. If you're Why? as big of a fan of this certain John Carpenter film as you claim to be. The Thing I, is a remake. That's true, too. 
Looks Wait, like the thing should... is a remake. Yes. The original film is called The Thing from Another World, which is a book. What's the? Yeah, but you can't go. But that was a remake a of a film. book. No, that book is titled The Thing from Another World, which was made into a movie in the 1950s, also called The Thing from Another World, which John Carpenter then remade into just The Thing. Oh, okay. All right. Huh. I wasn't even aware. I wasn't even aware that it was based on a a book. I think you guys should have done your wasn't, research. Wasn't oh, even I, aware. I, well, I'm still actually, I'm still, I'm still completely fine with my... With my top five. Yeah, my top five is still made of iron. Maybe Lord of the Rings could be worked in there on a later revisit, but for right now, I'm totally fine with my top five. I'd probably put The Dark Knight in there somewhere if I had to redo it, because I just didn't really consider those ones. Dark Knight only, not the other two. Yeah, I'd probably consider it one story. I'd probably put uh, Edward Norton's The Hulk in there if I were to revisit this again. Um, <laughs> <laughs> probably, who knows? I don't know. <laughs> All right. Um, well, shall we move on? Let's get into some uh, things that we watched. Let's. I only got like four things, so. I got I'm one. Not... What is it, Chris? Do you want to burn through it now, or do you want us to go first, Chris? Um, I'll go first, and I'll just make little snide comments at your guys' critiques. Um, my fir- the only movie I saw this week was Velvet Buzzsaw. Oh. Hey, don't tell us anything that you think about this movie. Are we reviewing it next week? I was going to say, I thought we were Oh, we are? <laughs> I thought so. Shit, guys. My bad. Um, my lips are sealed. <laughs> <laughs> all right go okay. you guys are good to well, go <laughs> we know what you watched at least <laughs> <laughs> well i i checked out uh checked out i've been working my way through harmony rins harmony corinne's filmography so i checked out gummo released in 1997 i think this was his first feature film is that Besides kids? So for his first directorial film? I think so. Is that correct? Yeah. Um, it's very interesting. It's um, definitely very Harmony Corinne. It has, it's essentially just a anti-aesthetic everything. And sort of in vain with trash humpers. Um Except this one seems more random in parts where there's like incredibly random scenes that don't seem like they add anything. And I think that's supposed to be the point. But I think in Trash Humpers, it's just funnier and works better. And this one was it's just fucking off. Like there's a random scene where Harmony Corinne is this guy who's like drunk on a couch and is like talking to this black midget about. <laughs> Like, I can't even remember what they're talking about. It's, like, really random. And then at one point, he's like, I think I'm gay. Can I kiss you? And the guy's like, no. <laughs> um, but the film is supposed to be – it's set in, this, set in this town in Ohio that gets hit by a tornado. And then just the town never rebuilds. So it follows a couple different storylines just through the town and just showing how just 
dark and fucked up the town is and how everyone just lives in poverty and no, no one's recuperated or rebounded. Um, there's an amazing, an amazing scene at the end where he's sitting in a bathtub eating pasta and drinking milk and then shoving a milk or a crunch bar into his mouth and nearly choking on it. <laughs> it's so good. One of the best eating scenes I've seen. Um, and then a lot of it's just like really very bizarre. Um, I don't think there's anybody out there except for you, Zach, that I would recommend this movie to. You've seen it, yeah? A long time ago, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's definitely not my favorite Harmony Crin film, but I, I'm, I'm glad I like. I'm glad I watched it. Um, I guess similar to you, I have been working my way through a certain director's career, more so because I'm starting to question if they were ever a good filmmaker. And this is, is M Night Shyamalan. Oh, uh-huh, okay. So I watched. So with Glass Split and Unbreakable, I was like, eh, nah, not that good. And then I watched Lady in the Water, and I was like, this is pretty good. I like this one. Uh, I've watched The Sixth Sense recently enough to know that I don't think it's very good. And so this week I watched The Happening which is by mm. far his most hated. Yikes. You think it's um, hated more so than After Earth? Or Last Stairbender? I guess I don't count those because those just sound like such terrible ideas to even make. I will say this one has a phenomenal premise behind it. I just think it's terribly executed. Like, the worst executed that you could ever execute this movie. Yep. And there's a lot of people online that defend it saying that it's purposefully bad as a B movie. And I just I don't buy that anyone with the ego of M. Night Shyamalan would ever purposefully do that. Yeah. I I don't buy it. I like a lot of the suicide scenes. Like those are pretty great. There's one shot of the camera's like looking up and all these bodies are just falling off the top of a building. That's kind of cool. So that's another but, great scene, right? Where someone lays down in front of a lawnmower. Yeah, but you don't get to see anything. Nah, bummer. Uh, I think Mark Wahlberg is god-awful in this movie. So is Zoe Deschanel. Hmm. Um, oh, right, I forgot. Her, Zoe Deschanel and Mark Wahlberg are on-screen husband and wife, right? Yeah. What a weird pairing. And like watching all these, uh, watching all of his movies like pretty close together... He's very interested in, like, almost infidelity, but not quite. I just, like, I don't... Like, what are you getting at here, Shyamalan? Like, are you, are you cheating on your wife or something? And you have a guilty conscience about it? Like, I don't get it. Why are you so interested in people that almost are infidelity? Like, not quite there. <laughs> and then the biggest thud of this whole movie is the ending, which is just... it. It stops killing the the grass stops killing people because it just does, and it's a natural phenomenon that we'll never understand. So why even try? 
It's just like it's just like I don't have I don't have an answer for you. So uh, here you go. Yeah, you think you're disappointed? I saw that movie in theaters. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I saw that movie in theaters. I sat down and watched Mark Wahlberg do all that dumb shit. Like he could ever play a smart guy. It, it's like it makes no sense. Like, so like he is a scientist, and then John. Uh, Lugzamo or whatever his name is is in the movie and he's like a math teacher and like they always have these really awful scenes of like be like what like oh man this just let's just go through the scientific method and we can figure out what to do next like, no Mark Wahlberg you don't need to do that <laughs> and, then car- and then the other guy is always like well if we just think of these things in terms of numbers and equations I'm sure we can figure it out it's like you don't need to do that either. Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, Mar- I, Mark Wahlberg could play somebody smart if like he wasn't so bad at it. It's just like it's the worst. It's terrible acting with an even worse script. So it's like there's no saving this movie. It's doomed from the beginning. Did you give this a one and a half on Letterboxd? I did. It's awful. A one and a half? I feel like it it's, needs to go lower than that. I that do was, like I like the premise a lot, so that's what saved it. I put I put this in my top tier of like worst movies I've seen in theaters, right behind the spirit. I think this is in top tier of worst movies I've ever seen in my life. Really? Yeah. <laughs> you put this in like top five? Uh, top ten probably. Jeez, harsh. <laughs> Well, um, let's see here. I rewatched uh, Guillermo del Toro's *The Shape of Water* in beautiful 4K. Whew. That oh. looks amazing. That's right. You just got the new 4K TV. What do you think? It is fucking amazing. What'd you go with, just out of curiosity? I went with an LG. LG. Okay. Life's good, which I'm happy with. It's a it's a nice setup. I like it. Just got the uh, new Xbox One S to go with it. Play my 4K films, which I've only got one of so far, <laughs> and I watched it, which I'll talk about in a second. Well, you didn't even watch The Shape of Water in 4K. I did watch Shape of Water in 4K. <laughs> How you only owned one? If it's it's on your Voodoo and it's in 4K HDR. Huh. You said I, I, uh, I own the actual discs. That's how I watch it. I will get it. It was like twenty. It was. It was like twenty four ninety nine at Best Buy, and I was like, "Oh, I'm not okay. ready to pull the trigger. Not ready to pull the trigger on that." <laughs> but um, it looks beautiful. Like the creature design, I love it. It looks so good. Like the the little like blues like on his like on the creature's skin like really pop. Um, Michael Shannon's. Stupid green candy that he's obsessed with looks really great. Um, a lot of like the like interior setting looks like just looks really good. Um, no, it's beautiful. Um, I think I even liked it more this time around watching it. There's a lot of things that I had forgotten. Um, like there's like the whole like um, sequence where it like goes to black and white and they're like dancing the musical scene. 
I'd forgotten about that, but like seeing it this time around, like I really enjoyed it. Um, there's like like a few minor things that like kind of got to me this time, like I thought were kind of annoying. Like one thing I kind of I can't stand is like when characters deliver unwanted, unannounced monologues. So like Michael Shannon like talks about like eating can like when he eats his candy and like why he does it, and he's like sometimes when I'm anxious I'll just bite right into it, and then he like finds out like about the Russians' plot. So of course what does he do? Pop a candy in his mouth and bite right into it. That stuff's kind of cheesy and annoying, but all that aside, the one minor nitpick out of all of it, I still love. Uh, great it's best picture win oh yeah it did win best Joe, picture. i don't think however the torture won best director but that's okay oh well yeah probably sh- probably should have gone to mr nolan but that's okay oh well what can you do zach what you got next um so i watched i rewatched moonlight <laughs> Uh, I really wanted to revisit it after seeing Beale Street because uh, I said that Moonlight was better. I wanted to make sure that I was right. And yeah, I was. Moonlight is ten times better. Ten times better? Moonlight is amazing. Like, I haven't seen Moonlight, so I don't know. I will say this. You're doing this what? Get on that. This no. is what I wrote on Letterboxd, which is that I think there will be blood. <laughs> is the best film of the 2000s. And I think this film is the best film of the 2010s. Really? Like that, I think this film will be remembered as the best film of the 2010s. So far, we still got another year. Mm. Like, God, it's, it's, it's so beautiful. Like, all three stories are amazing. Like, I love... I like the little part and then the black part at the end. The middle one is... The middle one I think is great, but I don't think it's as strong as those two. Mainly because of Mahershala Ali. And then I think that that diner sequence is amazing. And then just like the way that like black skin is filmed and how like moonlight is used as a light source. And like it's just such a great looking movie. And then it's just... I per I think it transcends this idea that it's about it's about what it's like to be gay and black. I think it's just like I think the movie is really more interested in just like what it means to be like just a person in general, like finding yourself and knowing who you are. And like it also doesn't ignore it's very much about finding yourself, but it doesn't ignore that the outside world is just as responsible in shaping who you are as you are. And I... It was a f- fantastic viewing experience. I can't recommend the movie enough. The opening shot is mm-hmm. amazing as well. It's like seven minutes. And like it's just one long continuous shot. And it's like Mahershala Ali... Talking to one of like the drug dealers on the corner. And it's just like circles around them. Yeah, I do like that. It's cool. This is your number one of two of the two thousand tens. Yes. 
That was in 2010 to 2019. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Wow. Okay. This is. I think this is the best film of that ten years period. I gotta get on this then. There's I would just, have to. There's so many good movies in the 2010s. It's on Netflix, Chris. I'm pretty sure. Isn't it on the Voodoo too? I think so. Uh, okay, so then there you go. You got two ways to watch it. Should we do that list at the end of the year? The best of the 2010s. Yeah. Maybe. Well, I gotta start watching shit now. Then. <laughs> yeah. Start preparing. Yeah, for real. I gotta go through and see some stuff. I'm down to do it if you guys are. You just gotta let. You just gotta know because that means I really gotta start watching some shit. I'll do it. I I can make a list. Fuck it. I can do 2019 easily, but uh, I'll definitely have to start watching some other stuff, especially from like 2010, 11, and 12. 21 Jump Street. I'll have to watch that again. <laughs> There's Harry a lot to check out. Hellboy Two. Deathly Hollows Part Two. Uh, I think that came out in 2008. No, that came out in uh, 2011. Oh well. Yeah. I'll bump it off for Paul Blart too. Let me see. So I watched. So the one 4K film I have picked up so far is uh, *Atomic Blonde*, directed by David Lich. Um, he co-directed and co-produced John Wick. And he's and a I've, stuntman on John Wick. Okay. I've like, I've heard a lot of comparisons to it being like the female James Bond. And it's kind of like it's similar to John Wick. But it's nowhere nearly as good as James Bond or John Wick. Um, I personally wasn't a big fan of Atomic Blonde. Um, it looks, it looks beautiful. Like, it looks really good. Um, like some of the, like the cool like stuff where like the spray paint goes across the screen. It's like tell the location, like that, like color just like really pops. Um, some of the other stuff just it, like looks really good. Like there's like a lot of like, um, uh, like blue lighting in the film that looks pretty cool. But I think in terms of like the story as a whole, like wasn't really a fan. Like it's, it's a pretty simple story. I think I would have liked it more if they just like stuck with that simple story and just like, like told it through. Um, it kind of like bogs it down and makes it more complicated than it needs to be. Um, I think Charlie Theron's pretty good. Not crazy about James McAvoy's performance or character in the film. Even though I know a lot of people think he's really good in it, it just didn't really work for me. Um, he kind of has like a lot of kind of like a lot of like one-liners that are, you know are supposed to either be like funny or resonate something, but it just didn't do a whole lot for me. Um, I thought some of the action sets were kind of underwhelming. There's a pretty, I mean, I will say there's a pretty cool fight sequence regarding a hose. Wait, wait. But yeah, there is. hose as in garden hose or as a in these hose. A garden hose. She beats okay. up a bunch of hookers on the corner. That's what I that's what I was yeah. trying to get at. Uh no, she uses a garden hose to fight some people, which is pretty cool. But aside from that, like I don't know, I thought a lot of the stuff was pretty underwhelming. Well, I guess you just don't understand action. That's fine. I guess I don't. <laughs> It's nowhere near the visual masterpiece of John Wick. 
Uh, it's definitely better than John Wick 2, I would say. Did you just buy that? I've had Maybe we'll have to see. I, I'm, I need to rewatch John Wick 2. I, was, I started at the end of the day and then did, and I didn't get into it. But I, think I will definitely probably be watching it tomorrow. You compare it to James Bond, and it's not better than Skyfall. I haven't seen Spectre, but I would say it's better than Casino Royale and Quantum of Solace. Oh, I like uh, Casino, Casino Royale. Ro- I Casino Royale, but I think it's definitely better than Quantum of Solace. I, don't know, Royale I like Atomic like Swan quite a bit. I mean, I think it's considerable to James Bond, as in James Bond and Charlize Theron's character are both terrible spies. Maybe. Yeah. Wait, hold on. Who would you say? Uh, you say James Bond was a terrible spy? He's like yeah, the worst. he's the worst fucking spy. Why? How can, you never goes create... undetected. Yeah, that's like blowing your cover like all the time. Like he's think not about... subtle. People know who he is. That's the worst spy. Think of Ethan Hunt, right? Ethan Hunt is a great spy. It's Thanks. true. It's spy. Well, think of like Mission Impossible One. Right, where he propels down from the ceiling and like has to maneuver his way through all those lasers to not be detected. That's what Catches a good the fucking sweat drop. Oh, so that's cool. what a good spy does. James Bond would have just walked through the front door and started shooting people. Like he's an awful spy. <laughs> he would have shot all the guys, got into the front desk where there's the woman. Should have been like, "Sorry, sir, I can't let you through." Then he would have whipped out his penis and fucked her, which then she would have <laughs> just granted him access to that room. Then he would have taken the files and then walked out, resulting in probably another gunfight and explosions. But the files would have been in a briefcase that some guy was taking onto a dirt bike, and then we'd have to chase him on the dirt bike and <laughs> chase him down. Like, he's just okay. an awful spy. So really, he's basically just a secret soldier. Basically. All but right. in the defense of James Bond, I think a spy movie that was accurate to what spies really do would be incredibly boring to watch. So... Yeah, probably. I'd kind of be this into that, true. man. Just watch someone work on a computer on a drone for like two hours. Yeah, no, like, like watching them on stakeouts like, in like a car. I always like the idea of watching a movie through somebody who isn't doing anything in an event that is has a lot happening. Maybe. I think Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy is pretty good. Never seen it. Oh, you gotta watch Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy. It's pretty good. It's like a movie, and like those guys are like actually trying to like play one another, and it's like, yeah, like no crazy shootouts, right? I think. Is it as good as Black Dynamite? What is Black Dynamite? Don't even, don't even go there. Black Dynamite's too good. Black Dynamite is basically like a, a modern day Shaft. Oh, I see. Okay. Uh, uh, Zach, you anything else you watched? Uh, you know who's the great spy? Undercover Brother, that's who. <laughs> <laughs> Paul Blart Mall Cop was a great spy. Well, that's a nice fucking kitty. <laughs> uh, I've, so Suspiria is uh, the first of a trilogy known as the Three Mothers Trilogy. I watched the other two, 
Uh, one is Inferno from 1980, and the other is Mother of Tears from 2007. I think Inferno is pretty good. It's pretty fun to watch. Uh, he does the primary colors thing is still there. It's just very toned down. It's not as bright and in your face. Uh, the plot is a bit clunky, and I think that movie is a bit more plot driven. So like focusing on the clunkiness of the plot is important, and it's something that has to be called out. Um, and I will say that Mother of Tears is a piece of garbage. So. It's like, it's completely not subtle. It explains, every line of dialogue is explaining something. Um, it's much, it's gorier than the other two. And unnecessarily gory. Um, it just, it feels like it's exploiting the Suspiria name and not trying to continue the mythology of Suspiria. His daughter was in there, or somebody he's related to. Yeah, someone. Asia yeah. Argento. She, the daughter. It's, it's it's an awful movie. Hmm. Don't I'll probably it. end up. I'll probably watch it just to see the trilogy, but I've heard very bad things. I think it should be suspect that it came out twenty-seven years later. True. All right, well, the last thing that I watched, I actually finished watching 15 minutes before we recorded, and it is Denis Villeneuve's Polytechnique. Please, his name is Denis. He's French. It's Denis? Yeah. Denis Villeneuve? Ben Denis. It seems weird to say that i love this movie but i did love it um it's a dramatization of a um of a school shooting that happened at a college university a college in um montreal and where 14 women were killed um by uh, a misogynistic man who basically just wants to wipe out feminists because he can't stand their ideology um it's shot in black and white that kind of like well it definitely like matches like the tone of what's going on um but i think it's also like a way to sort of like tone down the violence so that you're not really like not really like glorifying the violence you're not like playing up the killer at all like you're just telling the story for the sake of the victims um and it's like it's very well done um it's only 77 minutes so it's not like anything's drawn out. Like you don't really have like these scenes where, you know, in other biopics, like you might try to have this hero or whatever that tries to save the day. Like there is none of that. It's just like recognizing this violent thing that happened and just sort of how people cope with that. Um, it ends like it's it has like a pretty beautiful ending, I would say, with like one of the survivors talking about. Um, how she's pregnant and she says um, how she says if she has a boy she's going to teach him to love and if she has a girl she'll tell her that the world is hers and that just seems like like really cool that you know even though this really traumatic thing happened to her and she's obviously very affected by it and is open with how she's affected by it she's like still willing it's like she still has hope 
Um, and I just thought that was like a good way to wrap it up and sort of like a way to like give hope to all these people that were victims and for their families. It's very good. I like it a lot. Yeah, I know you talked about it, Zach, a week or two ago. And I've been meaning to check it out, wanted to watch something really quick before we recorded. and So I went with that and did not disappoint. I was, uh, even though I, even though it's like kind of hard to get through, like there are some scenes that are definitely very intense. Like when he's just like, um, like lines them all up in the classroom. Um, it's very intense. Um, but I think it's, I think it's like, I think it's definitely worth watching. Um, Cause it's not like any other like dramatization of like something like this that could happen where they're like really trying to play it up for, for feelings and then try to have like some savior to justify or to come in and save everything and try to make everything okay. Like it really just, I wouldn't say like it uh, like wallows in the, like in the sadness of it, but it definitely doesn't try to take it away. Like it's, it's, it's there it's not trying to head with it i think it's just trying to like very accurately just portray what happened and just show how like people move on and cope with such traumatic events or don't cope with or don't cope with in one character's case um no it's very good that's sad it does start with a bang so to speak that it really screwed me does. off also, yes. like, I don't know if this is true to real life, but, like, in the movie, like, it's a snowstorm outside, which also really reflects the somber mood of the events that took place. Mm-hmm. Even that it takes place in Canada, like, maybe it's safe to assume it was snowing. It was, like, in December, right? So I could, I could buy it was snowing. Uh, it's on Hulu. If you, everybody wants to check it out. And that's all I got. The name it's called one more time. Poly Polytechnique. Technique. Okay. Uh, and that's all I got for the week. It's all you, Zach. Take it away. I'll mention one last thing that I think Chris is a fan of. I watched uh, Chasing Amy, directed by Kevin Smith. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. When was the last time you watched this movie? It was a long time ago, man. I don't think it holds up very well. Come on. You gotta give me something to hope. Like, that there's... Whole, the whole universe in general. I just love all, anything that comes from there. I mean, like, I'm not interested in comic books, so, like, that part of it, I don't connect with. But, like, I do think Jason Lee is tolerable in this movie, and he's almost never tolerable in anything. uh there there's some funny stuff in here i will say like there so like the premise is that uh these two guys ben affleck and jason lee are like childhood best friends and then they do this comic book called blunt man and chronic which is based off of jay and silent bob (laughs) and so they meet this woman through a mutual friend and this woman uh turns out to be like ben affleck thinks this woman is on like 
coming on to him. But then come to find out she's a lesbian. And so they start, like, this friendship, and then eventually Ben Affleck falls in love with her and whatnot. Uh, but there is a scene, like, when they first are sort of getting to know each other, where... Uh, I'll be finding the girl's name, so I don't just call her the girl. Because that seems insensitive. I do that with half, with three-fourths of the people I talk about on the podcast. So her name in the movie is Alyssa Jones, but in real life it's Joey Lauren Adams. Mm-hmm. Who was Simone in Days and Confused, if you remember that. Anyways, so Alyssa and um, Jason Lee's character are going back and forth, like, sharing their horror stories of when they've eaten girls out and, like, terrible things that have happened to them while doing this. And, like, that scene in particular is really funny. Um, there's a lot of, like, gay bashing that goes on. Like, there, there's a point where I think Kevin Smith sort of justifies it. But I do think that it's just, like, it's just, like, way too much. Like, it just seemed like an easy joke that he just kept going with and going with and going with until it was, like, all right, dude, like, we get it. Enough. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think the problem with this movie is in the last 30 minutes where I don't think the so-called problem, the typical problem in the romantic comedy that drives them apart, is there a real problem. It's like, it's like he finds out that she had like a a three-way with two guys in high school, and he's like, "What? Like, yeah. why did? You, how can you do that? How am I supposed to look at you the same?" It's like, dude, get over it. Like, this was in high school. You're like 35 years old now. That was just him. That was just him having a a low um a low self-esteem. Or some shit like that. Like, the movie rides on you being on Ben Affleck's side and, like, pitying his situation. And, like, I just I just don't. And then yeah. the conclusion that he comes to that, like, is supposed to solve everything, which is that him, Alyssa, and then his... Uh, and then Jason Lee, who's, like, a homophobic character, they're all supposed to have a threesome and that's going to fix everything. And it's, like... It doesn't make any sense at all. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> anything. No, so, no. like, up until that point, I think it's pretty good. But then it just it just goes very downhill very quickly. Yeah, but I, I just love Silent Bob's chasing Amy story that he tells. Oh yeah, well, anything with Jay and Silent Bob is going to be a win for me. Those yeah. guys are just hilarious. They're coming out with a new one. I'm pretty sure. Yep. Like, they're only in it for one scene, and it's, like, Ben Affleck character that hands them a stack of money because of something. Something to do with, like, because their comic is based on them, and they have to pay them money for that. Yeah. And then they just, like, have this scene that would be funny. Mm-hmm. I really, it's not, it's definitely <laughs> doesn't hold up to, to Clerks or Clerks 2, or, um... Not as good as Mall Rats either. Mall Rats or Jay and Silent Bob. It's definitely the lower tier of all of them, but I still think they're all funny. No, no, no. Lower tier is like Tusk, uh, Yoga Hosers, Jersey Girl. Like that's lower tier Kevin Smith. This is 
this is pretty good, but not as good. This is middle tier. No, I'm not talking to Kevin Smith. I'm talking movies that are linked to these characters. That are created by Kevin Smith. Yeah, but you can't tell me that, like, Tusk is in the same universe as, like, Chasing Amy or Clerks. I mean, Chasing Amy and Clerks are in the same universe. Tusks is not, I would guess. No, it's definitely not. You would guess. So that's all I'm saying is that I'm, I'm talking as far as movies that are based around these characters, not um, movies made by Kevin Smith. Okay, well then, yes, it's lower tier of those. But I do think I prefer it to the original Clerks. The original Clerks was like kind of annoying to watch, but it's super impressive because he, he made it all off of donations. Well, he and he sold his entire comic book collection. Yeah, which, which I guess was, was impressive. That is super impressive for a man to, and it was so good for him that it was a success. Super proud of you, Kevin Smith. Keep on doing what you're doing, bud. For someone who named his daughter Harley Quinn, <laughs> like it's it's an impressive feat that he sold all of his comic books to make a movie. Like, plus that's, I wish that's good. I wish that um, I could get away with wearing hockey jerseys every day to work. He could. He's <laughs> not, skinny now. Yeah, but not to work. Well, yeah, he had like a like a heart, heart attack, attack or something. Yeah, that's sad. He's basically like eat better, or you're gonna die. He's still kicking though. Kevin Smith is a tough bastard. He's doing great. <laughs> all right. Well, that's all I got. You didn't even yeah. watch that. I did. So that's all I got. <laughs> I'm tapped. Uh, anything on your guys' radar for the upcoming week you guys want to check out or in the upcoming months? Cold Pursuit comes oh, out on yeah. Friday. Oh, Vel- yeah. Velvet Buzzsaw. <laughs> <laughs> Super excited to see that for next week's episode. So is that what we're doing next week for sure? Yeah, why not? Cool. Let's do I'm it. down. Cool. Uh, uh, okay. Yeah. So uh, thanks for tuning in. Uh, tune back next week. We'll be checking out Dan Gilroy's uh, Velvet Buzzsaw. Uh, where can uh, people find you on the internet? Uh, you can send your comments, questions. If you want to know how tall Chris is or anything else about him, please send us an email. <laughs> at film and loathing podcast at gmail.com. Oh. It is film and a n d loathing podcast at gmail.com. And you will be impressed with the number. <laughs> I will have you know. <laughs> um, I'm at Chris Duplissy across the board on all social media platforms. And I'm. Chris Duplissy on Letterbox. If you want to see what I'm uh, watching, um, if you care about, if you want to see what I'm watching, you can find me on Letterbox at Jake Searles, and you can find me on Instagram at the Real Juicy Jake. Yeah. All right, thanks for tuning in. Uh, we'll see you next week. Have a nice week. See ya.